Issues Etc. is listener-supported. We rely on you for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Now, if you appreciate Issues Etc., please consider making a tax-deductible gift today. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Issues Etc., Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. And thanks for your support. the hymn lord thee i love with all my heart the theme of that first stanza of course is the unshakable trust in god's word a theme that emerges in the second sunday of lent as we look at the stories of abram being called by god and we're told that abram believed and it was counted to him as righteousness culminating in the gospel reading from the familiar john 3 including john 3:16 We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Dr. Carl Fikentcher. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, the 6th of March. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., Dr. Ken Sherb joins us to continue our series on Martin Luther and the Reformation, dealing with the Sermon on the Mount as Luther treated it in his sermons. Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Then we're going to be talking with Dr. Gifford Grobing, talking to him about love, sex, and fulfillment. He's general editor and author of a chapter in the book, Ethics of Sex. That's our two of issues, etc. Joining us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, culminating in the gospel reading of John chapter 3, Dr. Carl Fikentcher, professor of pastoral ministry and missions, teaching primarily in the area of preaching at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Dr. Fikentra, welcome back to Issues Etc. Thank you so much, Todd. The Gospel reading for this second Sunday in Lit uh, takes us into what for many Christians is very familiar territory, John 3.16. Everybody knows this. They love it. How does John 3.16, though, fit into the theme of the day and all the other propers, especially here in the context of Lent? Well, that's a great question, Todd, because as soon as you hear the gospel lesson, John 3, 1 to 17 has that gospel in a nutshell, it guides all of our thinking. It's hard to think past that and notice anything else going on. 
But the truth is, the other propers have a very close linguistic connection. There will be certain key phrases and the name Abraham popping up again and again and again in the other propers that actually enlighten for us what's going on in John 3, 1 through 17, including verse 16. It really isn't as if John 3.16 or even the gospel around it, John 3.1-17, is a standalone. Even though, yes, no question, if you could only have one standalone verse for the whole gospel, John 3.16 would be the place to go. But what we really see from the context of the other propers, that is the context for the full lectionary propers of, of the second Sunday of Lent, year A, is really what John 3.16 has been culminating. It's where everything has ultimately been going. And to appreciate what's led up to it gives us a much deeper appreciation for the one beautiful verse itself. So uh, as we go through, we'll hear one connection after another uh, among the other propers, and when we finally get to our gospel reading, we'll see how, yeah, by golly, that really is the topper of these things that have preceded. The intro for the, the second Sunday of Lent hearkens to the offspring of Abraham. What do we find there? Yeah, that's going to be very significant. And you, you, you've really uh, hit the nail on the head there, Todd, because that offspring of Abraham is, is uh, one of the phrases that we'll see recurring through so many of the propers, and it really is significant ultimately when we get to the Gospel reading. The intro is from Psalm 105. Here, here it is. He, the Lord, that is, remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. And then the Gloria Patri that follows. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The uh, intro, it really nicely lays out where we're going to be going with these propers. And again, as I said, ultimately to the, the Gospel reading, when it begins right away talking about the Lord remembering His covenant, that, which He has commanded for a thousand generations. God's covenant is the thing that is running throughout the entire Old Testament and ultimately reaches its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. The covenant that God makes for a thousand generations. Now, it's easy to think of God's Old Testament covenant as being something very different, very separate from what we experience now. In fact, there's a theology called dispensationalism that is really based on that, which essentially says that God worked in different ways. He saved people in different ways at different points in history. If you were living in one, at one point in history, you'd be saved in one way. If you're living in a, another point in history, you'd be saved in a totally different way. And that kind of theology and, and uh, lesser versions of it really do tend to misrepresent what God was doing throughout the Old Testament. For example, and this is really the, the, the most specific misinterpretation, the idea often is raised that God's covenant through the Old Testament was essentially a covenant of works. That is to say, in the Old Testament, if you kept the commandments that God gave at Mount Sinai, you were saved in that way. And that then would be relevant for God's Old Testament people, Israel. 
which then might be just set aside when Christ came and say, to, to say we're saved in a new way now. We're saved by what Christ has done. That would really be a very, very bad misunderstanding of the Old Testament, which would then give a totally incorrect context for the New Testament. The fact of the matter is, God remembers this covenant that he gave in the Old Testament to a thousand generations, which even includes us. We are also members of those thousands of generations. And specifically, at the end of the intro, we have that reference that you made, Todd, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. All the way through our propers, we'll see that God has been working in this covenant, which he expressed explicitly to Abraham and his offspring which we'll find to be none other than the very same way of salvation that we have today. Yes, there are marked differences, of course, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Specifically, the ceremonial law of the Old Testament is no longer binding on Christians today, but that's because the ceremonial law was picturing in a prefiguring kind of way the very same thing that we have now. Picture and fulfillment of the very same thing. So, the covenant that God has extended to a thousand generations to all of the offspring of Abraham. That's where our intro it begins for us. The collect is about our weakness. What is it? What are we asking for here? Yeah, that's very significant too. That is really very foundational to what we're getting at in our propers. Oh God, you see that of ourselves we have no strength. By your mighty power, defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This point that we have no strength, that we are totally weak, this is the admission that always is a part of faith. If we think that we have strength, then we are tempted to offer to God something of our own. The admission that that we have no strength, that we are totally weak, totally helpless, dependent on God, is what faith is really all about. We can't do it. We're depending, Lord, on you. That's what faith is, and that is very much the covenant that God established in the Old Testament with Abraham and extends to us today, as we'll see. The gradual, we have... uh this one gradual that's holding us all the way through the season of Lent, don't we? Right, exactly. Same gradual through the whole season as the graduals do. And we mentioned last week that the gradual really is a wonderful summary of this Lenten journey, so we'll we'll point it out out again today. Oh, come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the writer of the Hebrews says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I would actually, Todd, encourage our worshipers, our our hearers, um, to to, to meditate on that gradual, perhaps even every day during these 40 days of Lent. Hebrews 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
not a bad way to begin or end each day during Lent, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what Lent is all about, and and, uh, devotionally, this gradual serves us very well. Dr. Carl Fikentry is our guest, Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. On this Monday, March the 6th, we're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the Old Testament reading, The Call of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, after this. Emily Post recommends polite conversation on topics like the weather, but the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's magazine, The Lutheran Witness, is no Emily Post. Go to cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness for a special offer of $6.99 for six issues and receive the March issue covering controversial topics like climate change, overpopulation, and the intersection of science and theology. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning. Issuesetc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Reformation was an attempt to answer the most fundamental questions of life then, and those questions endure today. Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Who is God? Who am I? Where is God found? What does God make of us? Who is Christ? What's the purpose of my life? Why does suffering happen? All those questions remain absolutely pertinent, and the answers that were given in the Reformation are absolutely relevant today. You can meet and hear Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Reformation's relevancy at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, call 618-223-8385 or visit issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, June 9th and 10th in Collinsville, Illinois.
stanza two of the hymn, Lord, the I love with all my heart. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Dr. Carl Fikencher is our guest. Dr. Fikencher, we come now to the uh, Old Testament reading, which really are the pivotal verses there in Genesis 12 regarding Abram in the Old Testament. That's right. Genesis 12, 1 through 9, is really the beginning of the Abraham narrative. He's mentioned earlier as uh, in his genealogy in chapter 11, but here at the beginning of chapter 12, God begins to work with Abraham in a very special way, which really does establish that covenant which will be to a thousand generations. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, and by the way, that's his name until later on when God changes it to Abraham. His, his given name at birth was Abram. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, by the way, her name will be changed to Sarah later, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This, again, is really the beginning of God's personal interaction with Abram, and it was a very special, very personal kind of interaction. Again and again, in the subsequent chapters, God will appear to Abram with some magnificent blessings, a a huge challenge in chapter 22 to sacrifice his son, but assurances again and again and again. And Abram would definitely need those assurances because what God is asking Abram to believe is at best, in human, human terms, a real long shot. First, God says to Abram, I want you to leave where you are, the place where you're established, where you and your father have moved, have, have settled in, and go to a new land that I will show you. Now, now that, to begin with, is a long shot. You know, how many of us would, would have someone say, I want you to move to a whole new place. You don't have a job. You don't have a house. You don't know anybody there. I just want you to go and expect us to do as, as we have been told. That is a long shot. God is asking Abram to trust him to go to a totally new place and establish uh, a new life, in fact, a life that God will establish for him. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. This, too, is a long shot, because as we know from other accounts, and even have implied here, Abram at this point has no child. Abram is 75 years old. His wife Sarai is about 10 years younger, about 65 years old, 
And here already in this account, the fact that they take uh, Abram's nephew Lot with them, but no reference to children, reminds us that they don't have any children. That'll be discussed at great length and in great detail in subsequent chapters. But somehow, I'm going to make of you a great nation. That implies a lot of descendants. Uh, a, a lot of family will come from Abram. I will bless you and make your name great. That is to say, your name will be remembered through generations and generations of descendants. That is something Abram must trust, must believe, with very little to go on right now. In fact, nothing to go on right now except God's Word. And then verse 3, Genesis 12, verse 3, is another one of the very significant passages of the Old Testament. Uh, Perhaps the most significant passage of the Old Testament was the one we looked at last week, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 12, verse 3, is, is another very significant verse. God says to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Which, of course, begs the question, how in the world could all the families of the earth be blessed in this one guy, Abram? First of all, he has very little family of his own, a wife, a nephew, but no children. And God says, not just your own descendants, but all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. How is that possible? Well, the answer, of course, is that God would eventually give Abram a descendant. He would give him a son, Isaac. And that son, Isaac, would have other sons, Jacob, Esau, and through Jacob, more generations, more children, until many, many years later, in fact, over 2,000 years later, one descendant, Jesus Christ, would be born. The one, the only one, through whom all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yes, it is true. Genesis 12, verse 3 all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abram because Abram would have the descendant, Jesus Christ, who would bless all people by his life, his death, and his resurrection. In other words, Genesis 12, verse 3 is a hugely significant verse because it says that the promise given to Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3.15 would now be carried through Abram, Abraham, and all of his line of descendants until the very birth of Christ. A huge verse. So then, verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now that is as strong an expression of faith as perhaps any will see in Abram's life, perhaps with the exception of the faith to willingly offer up his own son Isaac. Uh, Here, with Nothing to go on but God's own word. He does pick up and leave. He leaves his, his family, his kindred there. He leaves his country, the place where he is established. He goes to a place that he has never seen, a place that he has no real picture of, no uh, advanced uh, connections, no, no realtor to procure the house for him there, uh, no job interviews lined up, nothing at all except the word of the Lord, a magnificent expression of faith. So Abram, his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, go to this totally new place where the Canaanites were living in the land, people who were not necessarily so delightful to live with, as a matter of fact. And then verse 7, 
the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Remember, from the beginning of our propers for this second Sunday of Lent, year A, the intro, we've been talking about the covenant that God made for a thousand generations to Abram, Abraham, and his offspring. And in the immediate subsequent generations, actually after the time of the sojourn in Egypt, the Israelites would come back and they would possess this very piece of property on planet Earth as an expression of that covenant. That would not be the ultimate prize, that would not be the ultimate gift of the covenant, but it would be for many, many years a visible sign that God was keeping the big promise of the covenant to send Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. And notice the promise is to Abram, Abraham, and to his offspring. The psalm for the coming Sunday is Psalm 121. What can you tell us about it? This is also a magnificent psalm about trust. This is a psalm of David, where David uh, looks around him at all the, the troubles that are before him, all the dangers, all the threats, and trusts that his help comes from one very specific source. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? He asks the question, and then he answers. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. David knows that he can always count on the Lord. This is the expression of faith. I know I need help. I, I know that on my own I am weak, as the collect reminded us. I have no strength. But I can trust the Lord. That's where my help comes from. He's the one who made heaven and earth. He's totally reliable. He, he won't let us down when we slumber, when we move, when we go about. He is keeping us as we travel. The sun will not strike us by day, nor the moon by night. No evil. The Lord will keep us from all evil. No evil can hurt us. He will protect our life. The Lord will keep us. And notice the way the, the psalm ends. In verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. There's the echo that we heard in our intro of the covenant to a thousand generations. That is to say, it is to all people from uh, the time of Abram, or in this case, the time of David, on and on and on. Those who are included in God's covenant will always be included in that covenant for God's perfect care, to a thousand generations even. Dr. Carl Fikenter is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning on this Monday, March the 6th. According to the three-year lectionary, we'll be looking at the epistle reading Romans 4, where we're back to Abraham again right after the break. Located 10 minutes north of Worcester in the heart of liberal Massachusetts, Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton is a solid, orthodox, confessional, liturgical outpost of the Missouri Synod. 
where God's word is not changed to agree with the latest social trend. No mega church fog here, just the law and gospel every Sunday at 10 a.m. Come join us and check us out at Trinity Lutheran Clinton MA.org. Law and Gospel, the Reformation Solas, the Theology of the Cross, the Means of Grace, Simultaneously Saint and Sinner. These are some of the topics covered in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Hallmarks of Lutheran Identity. It's written by regular guest Dr. Al Schmidt. Hallmarks of Lutheran Identity is published by Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, or read an excerpt at issuesetc.org. Hallmarks of Lutheran Identity, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month. This is a message for members of Thrivent Financial for Lutherans. Thrivent Financial has a charitable grant program called Thrivent Choice. Thrivent Choice allows you to designate charitable outreach funds to Lutheran Public Radio. For more information, look for the Thrivent logo under the Donate page of our website, issuesetc.org, or ask your Thrivent representative about Thrivent Choice. Help support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. with Thrivent Choice. Memoria Press invites all Issues Etc. listeners to explore our Simply Classical curriculum, a set of full-year academic curriculum packages for children with learning challenges. Our classical writing program and our Christian studies are now based on your favorite CPH Bible storybooks. To learn more, visit classicalspecialneeds.com and use promo code LPR to save on your initial purchase. That's classicalspecialneeds.com. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ Alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. The 500th anniversary of the Reformation approaches. A good time to ask, who are we as confessional Lutherans? What's our heritage? The Confessional Lutherans for Christ Commission has produced the Layman's Guide to Theological History. Go to the clcc.org and see which of these presentations and books would be most helpful to you and your fellow parishioners. And consider becoming a member with us as the CLCC seeks to help more people know what it means to be a confessional Lutheran. The CLCC.org. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville. of Jesus' Cross of Sorrow, part of the Lenten music playing right now at Lutheran Public Radio, our 24-7 sacred music station that follows the course of the church here, lutheranpublicradio.org. You can listen there absolutely free or on the LPR mobile app. Listen anytime absolutely free to sacred music for the world at lutheranpublicradio.org. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, Dr. Carl Fikentscher is our guest. He's professor of pastoral ministry and missions, teaching primarily in the area of preaching at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
Next on the docket here, Dr. Fikantra, Romans 4, where we get Paul's take on Abraham. Exactly, and it is that, just that. It is Paul's take on Abraham, so we can see the connection the lectionary is making for us. We began with the idea of the covenant to Abraham and his offspring already there in the intro it. We heard the particulars spelled out to begin in Genesis chapter 12, and now St. Paul is going to elaborate for us on that covenant. Remember we said that it's easy to misunderstand God's covenant with his Old Testament people to think that it really is talking about God dealing with people at one time in a different way than at another time, as if to say people were saved in one way at one point in history and saved in a different way at a different time. Paul puts that to lie. He shows that that is not the case at all. Romans chapter 4, we read verses 1 through 8, and then we continue with verses 13 through 17. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now continuing verse 13 for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God and in him whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You see what St. Paul is saying about this covenant to a thousand generations, the covenant to Abraham and to all his offspring, that it's not that misunderstanding that Abraham and God's Old Testament people were saved in one way, that is, by their works, by their obedience to the Ten Commandments, and that we today might be saved in a different way. No, God says through St. Paul here in our epistle lesson, what shall we say then was gained by Abraham according to the flesh? If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But that's not the way it is at all. The scriptures say this, Abraham believed God, and it, that is, his faith, his believing God, was counted to him as righteousness. It's not the one who works who is counted as righteous, but the one who does not work and believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted to him as righteousness. We saw our, in our Psalm, Psalm 121, the words of David that understand this, this trust in the Lord. 
Last week, our psalm actually was Psalm 32, and that's what St. Paul quotes here from David. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That is to say, we are helpless, we are weak, we have nothing to offer to God ourselves, we only sin, but our sins are covered. We are blessed because our lawless deeds are forgiven, because the Lord does not count our sin against us. And then again, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring did not come through the law, but through faith. Even in the Old Testament, Abraham was not saved by his keeping of the law. The Old Testament Israelites after Mount Sinai were not saved by how well they kept the Ten Commandments. They sinned, Abraham sinned, we sin. But we are blessed, as David says, when God forgives our sins, and we simply believe that God has done that. It's faith that receives this promise of God, not what we do. That is why, verse 16, it depends on faith, in order the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, all Abraham's offspring, not just those who uh, were descendants by genealogy, not just those who lived under the law of circumcision, as the Old Testament people did, but rather all who share the faith of Abraham. And notice, St. Paul makes a wonderful point here. It all depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all the offspring. If our salvation were dependent upon our works, our keeping of the law, or if Abraham's or Old Testament Israel's, if David's had been dependent on their keeping of the law, there could be no salvation guaranteed. Every one of us would be in doubt at every moment, and if we looked honestly at our own predicaments, we'd realize that we all fall short of the glory of God and cannot possibly be saved by our works. But rather, on the contrary, when our salvation is procured completely by what God has done, and in faith we simply recognize that we can't contribute anything to it, that we are totally helpless, as our collect recognized, then we realize that instead we have the wonderful assurance of salvation because we simply receive it by faith, simply believing that he has done it all for us. As it is written, Abraham has been made a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom Abraham also believed. The promise to Abraham, the promise to David and Old Testament Israel, the promise to us is all the same that Christ has done the work of redeeming us, Christ has done the work of saving us, the covenant God makes with all of Abraham's offspring is the same, that we trust in Christ Jesus for our salvation, and we have exactly what we believe. Dr. Carl Fikentra is our guest. We will turn to the Gospel reading, which contains, among other things, John 3.16, right after the break. Our cities are some of the greatest mission fields on the planet, but the footprint of the church is shrinking. We dare not shrink from our cities. Christ is needed now in our urban areas. From chaos, turmoil, decay, death, and destruction, Jesus brings peace, hope, resurrection, eternal life, and rebuilding. And you can help by being a hero for the city. Find out how at lcms.org slash citymission or on Facebook at LCMS City Mission. Every city needs a hero. Capes and helmets not required. 
Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Dr. Anthony Eslin will be speaking on the topic of imagination and education at the second annual Wittenberg Academy Family Retreat, which will be held at Camp Okaboji in Milford, Iowa on April 27th through the 29th, 2017. Join us and be immersed in God's Word, thoughtful discussions, and family fun. For more information or to register, visit www.wittenbergacademy.org and click on the registration tab. final stanza of the hymn, Lord, Thee I Love with All My Heart. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Dr. Carl Fikancher is our guest. We come to that gospel reading, Dr. Fikancher, that contains, among many other things, the famous John 3.16. John 3.16 comes in our gospel reading, which is chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And now listen to everything we read here in light of what we've been talking about, this covenant to Abraham and to all of his offspring, which is not something that we work for, but something that we receive. We simply believe it's been given to us. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus' answer here is significant. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, 
and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, this is a magnificent narrative in its own right, and obviously John 3.16, a magnificent passage in its own right, but it also really is the culmination of the things that we've been seeing all along. Picture what's going on here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So what we established from the beginning is this man, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus, is a person who should be in a position to understand all of the things God has been working through his people through the Old Testament. Nicodemus knows all about Abraham. Nicodemus should know all about the covenant that God made with Abraham, which was affirmed to the Israelites throughout Old Testament history, which was recognized and understood and proclaimed by David in Psalm 121 and Psalm 32. Nicodemus should know all this. This should be familiar to him. He's a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. Now, he comes to Jesus by night, and that's significant. I, even as we realize Nicodemus has, has great uh, misunderstanding at this point, nevertheless, Nicodemus does come to Jesus. He, he wants to know more about Jesus. But the fact that he comes at night makes it very clear that he's not really quite open about what he's doing here. He's, he's a, a little bit ashamed of what he's doing, realizing that what he's doing by coming to Jesus already at this point, early in John's Gospel, is going to get him in serious hock with the other Pharisees who have already decided that John the Baptist and Jesus can't really be legitimately from God. So he comes secretly. But he says, we know you're from God because you're doing these great things. Uh, Nicodemus wants to know, but he isn't really convinced as to how Jesus is about God's business. Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Greek here can just as easily be translated, unless one is born from above. And that's a significant play on words in the Greek. Being born again is to be born from above. Nicodemus doesn't get this. He, he thinks we're talking about uh, a literal uh, returning to your mother's womb and being born. He knows that's absurd, but he doesn't recognize the alternative. Jesus gives him the alternative in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. No question, easy for us to recognize now, that this is a reference to baptism. Water and the Spirit. When God's word, the words of institution of baptism that Jesus gives us before he ascends to heaven in Matthew chapter 28, are applied to water, then the Holy Spirit comes and works this magnificent being born again. When we as infants are baptized, 
We are born again, born from above. God comes to us in our baptisms, takes us in his arms, makes us his child, gives us the rebirth, which is nothing other than the faith that we've been talking about all the way through our propers. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is why we must be born again. Nicodemus still doesn't get it. How can these things be after Jesus illustrates it? And then this is a very significant verse, really. Verse 10, Jesus answers him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet do not understand these things? What Jesus is saying here is that he's not offering anything new. This isn't something that Jesus is creating in John 3. This is something that God has been speaking since Genesis 3, and then to Abraham in Genesis 12. And it is nothing other than the covenant that God established with Abraham and all his offspring to a thousand generations. That is, that we are God's people, that we have eternal life when we are born again, that is to say, when the Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts to believe in this man that Nicodemus has come to see, this Jesus of Nazareth, who is also the Son of God. Verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here again is a clear reference to Jesus, the Son of Man, and specifically a clear reference to Jesus being lifted up on the cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And not a bad study to look back at, at the Numbers, the book of Numbers, and see that reference that is brought up here from Numbers 21, when Israel is attacked by those uh, fiery serpents, and Moses lifts up that bronze serpent on the pole, those who looked to it would live. Well, here we have that wonderful reminder that when we look to Jesus lifted up on the cross, we have eternal life. All of this then sets up verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus came into the world, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's interaction with the whole world ever since Genesis 3 and the fall into sin that we looked at last week, ever since the fall into sin, God's interaction with the whole world has been to give his Son so that by faith we have eternal life. The covenant that God established with Old Testament Abraham and all of Old Testament Israel was one and the same that he now brings to completion when he himself comes into the world. When the Son of God, the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ, comes into the world, it is to go to the cross so that the covenant, which has been promised all along, is brought to fulfillment. Here, at the cross of Jesus Christ, we and all of Abraham's offspring have that in which we can believe, the thing in which our faith is centered, the object of our faith. The covenant has always been to look forward to this event, 
Jesus, the Son of God, going to the cross. And everyone who believes in Jesus going to the cross has everlasting life. That's the covenant that God has established that he's been giving us from the very beginning. Todd, my theme is this, and I'll unpack it just a little bit more. God's covenant with all the offspring of Abraham is the covenant of faith in God's Son, which we now share by our baptisms. God's covenant with all the offspring of Abraham is the covenant of faith in God's Son, which we now share by our baptisms. Look back at all of the propers and see how that sequence has been developing so beautifully. Back from the intro, the covenant which was to a thousand generations of the offspring of Abraham, is this that we anticipate and come to fruition when Jesus comes. In our collect, we confess that we have no strength. That's the essence of faith, to recognize that we have nothing to offer to God, that we are helpless, that we are totally dependent on him. In the Old Testament lesson, God was explicit that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What was that pointing to? None other than Christ coming into this world to die on the cross. The promise, even in Genesis chapter 12, was to the offspring of Abraham. David depended on this. He knew in in Psalm 121 that his help would come from the Lord from this time forth, even forevermore. And what a magnificent commentary Paul gives on the whole thing when he says that covenant with Abraham was never a matter of works, never a matter of keeping the law, but always dependent on faith, and that faith is nothing other than Jesus brings us in the Gospel reading, the Son of God coming into the world to die on the cross for us. So just finally to wrap it up with about one minute here, Dr. Fikancher, it sounds as though the message that Abraham heard from God, this, that he believed, and Paul tells us that he believed and was thus counted righteous, is exactly the same message that delivers, Jesus delivers to Nicodemus and, and to us there in that so-called gospel in the nutshell. It really is. There's even that great reference later on John's gospel where Jesus says, Abraham saw my day, and he was delighted to see it. When Abraham understood, believed God's promise, he was trusting in nothing other than the same than, than what we trust, that is, Christ coming into the world to be our Savior. He recognized that he himself had nothing to offer to God. He recognized that God would do the whole, whole job. He recognized that he couldn't be a blessing to all the families of the world on his own, but his descendant, Jesus, would be precisely that. And so we have the wonderful footnote or, or uh, follow-up to this, our Gospel reading as well, when we get to the end of John's Gospel, and we see that Nicodemus did come to a full realization of who Jesus was. Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, was there to anoint and bury the body of Jesus, recognizing that Jesus was the Savior, the one to trust. And of course, then Nicodemus, with each one of us, was a sharer in the resurrection of Christ. All given to us now in our baptisms. Dr. Carl Fikancher is Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions, teaching primarily in the area of preaching at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Fikancher, thank you again. Thank you so much, Todd. 
In hour two of Issues Etc., it's part two of our series on the Christian devotional life today. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller will be our guest. Then Dr. Ken Sherb will join us for our series on Martin Luther and the Reformation. We continue in Luther's treatment of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The third commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in him, our true rest, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear his word and receive his gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.